Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From building a well-balanced college list and developing a payment strategy to creating a high school plan and more. Each episode will help guide your family through various steps of the process. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm your host for this week, Shannon Vasconcelos, and we are officially in the holiday season now, I'd say. I'm rocking my cozy sweater today. It's cold here in Massachusetts. Um, And we're also deep into college application season, which we're going to talk about today and actually getting into the season of receiving college decisions. So we're going to be talking about that in just a minute. Before we do that, I just want to ask you to stick around for our final segment where we're going to be answering your listener questions, including what I hope will be a fun sort of lightning round on the brand new FAFSA. So make sure you stay tuned for that. And I also want to welcome any new listeners we might have this week who might have found us on Amazon Music, where we've been a featured podcast this week. So thank you if you're just checking us out for the first time. And if you haven't checked us out on Amazon Music, pop on over there to check out their listening experience because it's really great. Um, Now for our first segment, we are going to be talking about those early round admissions results. And joining me to help us with what our next steps should be after we receive those results is my colleague and former admissions officer at Wheaton College and St. Lawrence University, Michael Yeager. Welcome, Michael. Hi, thanks a lot. Welcome. Absolutely. We're so glad to have you here. And I should first say that this episode is dropping on December 7th. So tell me if I'm right, Michael, I'm Guessing most people don't have early round results yet, but we'll probably be getting them, you know, probably. in the next kind of week or two. Yeah, I usually think. mid-December, right right before schools go on break. Oftentimes, like that December 15th is a big date or, or the Friday around that date. That makes sense. They like to drop those decisions and then go away on a holiday break. So they're not dealing with the aftermath, right? Right. Yeah. And then to give, you know, families a time to celebrate or or to be together and come up with a new strategy. That's perfect. And you're going to help us with those strategies. And as as we talked about it before going on the air, we've sort of framed it as there's all these different scenarios that can happen with early results, depending on if you applied early decision or early action and whether you got accepted or denied or some of those kind of less straightforward decisions, which I think are sort of the most complicated to work with. Um, so our game plan is kind of to walk through those scenarios one by one. You're going to help us out with kind of what to do in each of these situations, Michael. So you ready Ready to dig in? Yeah, there's a lot of holiday gifts that can be unpacked here at this admission season. Absolutely. And the first one is a, is a gift and I think like probably the easiest scenario. I've been admitted early decision. Yay, I'm happy about it. It was my first choice. I applied through this binding process. I've been admitted. Now what happens? Yeah, I'm first is to celebrate. Obviously, this is something that a lot of students have. This is a milestone in their lives, and and they've had a lot of support along the way. So it's definitely important to celebrate in the way that you feel like is most appropriate. Whether that's going out to dinner, whether that's you know mm-hmm. screaming and jumping up and down. Um, <laughs> but I think taking the time to recognize the accomplishment is certainly important. 
I, I always, you know, we're just off of Thanksgiving. When you get this good news, it's also a good time to think about gratitude and mm. maybe thanking the teachers that wrote those recommendation letters for you. You don't have to get them anything. Just a, a thank you would be enough. You know, making sure you let your counselor and teachers know that you've been admitted because a lot of them are waiting and they're, they want to be excited for you. Um, it's a, yeah. As a former school counselor, it was great around the holidays to see kids come in or email me over the break and just say, like, I got in um, <clears throat> because there's a lot of, of work that goes into it, as students know, from from the, the educational side. So some gratitude, some celebration, some logistical things. I mean, usually a school will have you deposit. If you're an early decision candidate, they'll give you a few weeks to deposit. So making sure mm -hmm. that, that you get that deposit in and reserve that spot. And then paying attention to all the other things that are going to be coming your way. So there will be stuff that comes your way in the portal or via email about orientation, about you know, selecting residence halls, about getting your, um, your medical records in. So lots of logistical things that need to be tended to, maybe not right away, but, but yep. definitely keep checking that portal every couple of weeks. Perfect. And but that's a good um, shout out we should give to actually our next week's episode. We're going to be talking with another one of our colleagues, Elise Krantz, about some of those logistical steps. So definitely tune in for that. Um, so the next scenario, equally exciting, maybe a little bit more complicated. We'll, fi we'll find out you applied non-binding early action and you were accepted and you're... Happy about this as well. Anything different we should be thinking about? Um, a little bit. I mean, usually the early action results will come in a little bit later. So you might not get mm. these until January or February, but but they're on the horizon. Some schools may be a little bit earlier than that. Um, but between now and then, a good thing to do is, is complete any regular decision applications that you need to complete before we hit school break, before we hit mid-December. So making sure that you're, you're getting everything lined up. Um, if you've been admitted early action, you still have the options on the table for you. So at that point, it's comparing you know, which of these schools is the best fit for me now that I do have at least one or maybe multiple offers in hand. And so thinking about, do I want to go back to campus and visit again? Do I want to visit for the first time? And now you have a, a little bit longer of a window than if you had waited to apply for regular. So usually you'll have a couple months to check out, maybe visit the campus, um, look at the the financial aid packages. This year is going to be a different year in terms of the late uh, the late rollout with the free application for federal student aid. So making sure that that, that side is taken care of and it might be a little bit longer than most years. So yeah. um, working with financial aid offices and uh, parents or guardians to make sure that's all taken care of as well. Perfect. And I'm so tempted to go on a diatribe about that. I'm going to save it for our last segment where we're going to go through those FAFSA questions. Um, so the next uh, scenario, Michael, not quite as fun. You haven't been accepted. You have been deferred. Can you explain what exactly that means and what you need to do now? Yeah, this can be a tough one for a lot of students because you don't really know what it means and it doesn't mean anything, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, you've just been pushed into the regular decision pool. So we can speculate on what it might mean. Maybe the school had a lot of applications this year. Maybe you were a borderline candidate and they're waiting to see what the full pool looks like. Mm -hmm. Maybe you had a rough junior year and they want to see senior grades and that's all they're looking mm -hmm. for to put that final stamp of approval on an acceptance letter. But in any case, with a deferral, what you want to do is make sure that you're responding to any requests from the college or university if they're asking for something additional, whether it's your mid-year grades, making sure your counselor knows to send those, uh, that you're still interested in this school. So 
you can still declare interest. You know, if you were deferred, you can still certainly write the admission office. You don't need to do this every day or every week <laughs> or even more than once. But just that, you know, you're excited to receive a letter. You're still very interested. You know, here are some personal updates. If you were selected captain of a, of a team, if you won a local award or anything that's happened that you feel like would be helpful to your application, you can still produce that information and send it to the admission office. But it's kind of wait and see at that point. Mm-hmm. And so if you're deferred, you're, you're given sort of, they're saying, we don't know right now. We want to see how our regular decision pool looks, what it looks like. So then you should expect an answer with the regular decision pool, which would typically be like in March at most schools. Yeah, probably mid to late March for most schools. Okay. So it's going to be right. a, a buckle up and wait for a little while longer. Yeah. And uh, speaking of waiting and what I would probably say you can correct me if i'm wrong a deferred's not a you know a a great decision you don't like to be deferred even a a less positive decision i would guess would be you have been waitlisted can you yeah. explain what that means what you need to do now sure for for both defers and waitlist i would often tell students it's it's not a no and they don't put that you were deferred or waitlisted on a diploma. So if you are ultimately <laughs> enrolled, you can yeah. go here and, and you can attend the institution that you, you wanted to. It's just a matter of this is going to be a process that takes a little bit longer than the average student. Um, for waitlist, um, if students are given a waitlist, it usually doesn't happen at early decision. Most schools try to give you, because you've given them that contract, they try to give you a clean decision of an admit or a defer or a deny outright at, at early decision. Mm-hmm. Usually you'll see a lot more wait lists at, at early action and similar mm-hmm. you know, to the reasons why um, a candidate might be deferred. It might be that the school is just looking for more information. They want to see those additional grades. Maybe they're, they'd like to see test scores. Maybe you haven't taken test scores for that second or third time. And so there, there could be some additional information coming towards them that, that they feel like would help your application and they want to keep the door open for you. Um, so similar to defers. Waitlist candidates can definitely express interest. The school may tell you how to do that. They may say, like, here's a couple of questions that you can answer if you wish to remain active on the waitlist. And that's a big deal. If a school is offering you an opt-in to remain active on the waitlist, you want to do that as soon as possible. Um, because they're, most schools are likely not going to deliver admission letters to candidates that haven't expressed an active interest on that waitlist. Got it. So that's super important to make sure that you do that. And for those, for if you've been waitlisted, I would guess you wouldn't expect any updates on that until close to or maybe past the May 1st deposit deadline. It can depend on the school. So yeah. as as colleges are receiving deposits throughout April and March and May, if they feel like as an institution, they're going to be short on candidates and they're looking to their wait list, they may start to offer students in advance of that May 1st. I've worked at a couple of places where we did that on, on certain occasions. It's more likely not going to be the case. It's most mm-hmm. likely if there's going to be movement from the wait list, it's probably going to happen in May, maybe early June. As we get to mid-June, probably unlikely at that point. Yeah. But but uh, usually schools will send out a wait list release like later in June or potentially early July, letting you know that it's it's over at this point. Got it. And I would say as like an emotional next step, you probably have to be prepared to go somewhere else. Am I am I right, Michael? You can't yeah. hinge all your hopes on that wait list. Right. Decision. And and especially like 
most schools will usually give you a little bit more information of how they operate their wait list and what, what mm. their typical admit rates are from the wait list. And so uh. if, you're, if you're looking at a school, you can certainly reach out to them and ask them about like, what's the typical wait list process look like? How many candidates are typically admitted? Some schools that may be relatively high, maybe they take yeah. 10 or 15% of candidates from the wait list and that might give you a little bit more hope. Um, other schools, you may see that their historical numbers are down in that one to 3% rate, in which case you you can pretty much plan on on finding uh, another option at that point. Got it. Um, so now maybe some a little bit um, more unique situations, maybe though not hugely unique. What if you were in fact offered admission, but not to your first choice major? That's a tough one. What's the thought process there? Yeah, this. This sometimes comes down to um, just personal preference, like how attached are you to that major? How attached are you to that particular school? Do you really want to go there because it's it's in state and it's cheaper and it fits your budget, and that's an important priority? Is it you want to be, uh, you know, pre med and you weren't offered bio, but you were offered like public health or you were offered something different? And do you feel yeah. like you're going to get enough of of a preparation for your next steps by taking this this alternate pathway? You can look to see what the school's internal transfer policies are. Some are going to be more strict than others, like for University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, for example, students can't do an internal transfer into computer science. They just don't have seats for it. It's too competitive mm-hmm. of a program. So if that's your end goal, then taking an offer at a, at a different major is going to be something that's probably not an option if you're that committed to that particular major. So really, you, you have to do a little bit more homework potentially on, on mm-hmm. whether or not you want to take this offer. Um, for early decision candidates, what offering a different major means, and this usually doesn't happen, would be that you're essentially released from that ED contract. So you could um, you could then explore other options. You're not bound to that school because they didn't offer you what you had applied for. Um, but but again, that's typically a pretty small portion of the of the population. Okay, so we've gotten through many of the acceptance scenarios, defers, wait lists. <laughs> um, now now's the one we don't we don't like so much denials so you have been denied by that first choice school um in the early rounds so that you're not deferred they're not saying we're going to consider you again no deferral no wait list straight out denial yeah. but it's your first choice school can you p- apply again they're not deferring you to the regular decision round can you sort of defer yourself can you apply again in the regular decision round not in this application cycle. So if you apply, let's say you apply early decision and you're denied, that's it for this year. You can you can go to another institution, you can take a gap year, you can apply again the following application cycle, but there's no trying again in, in a different application uh, type. So you can't move from early decision to regular decision in the same year. Um, and it's likely you get that same answer anyway, because if you were not admitted early decision, right. the what odds are that, yeah, nothing's, nothing's really changed at that point other than a semester's worth of grades. Right. Got it. Um, now, how about, okay, you've been denied from that first choice school. You know you can't apply again this year. Um, maybe you really want to start college right away. You don't want to think about that kind of gap year option. You want, you know you got to go someplace else to start, but you can't get that early decision school out of your head. You're thinking, oh, I'll go to another school for a semester, a year, and then I'll transfer to that yeah. first choice school. Is that a possibility? 
It is. Um, this is definitely a, a counseling conversation I, I love to have with students. Um, it's it's really hard to enter into college. So if you're denied your first choice school, you 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 know you, you put all your research in, you felt like this mm-hmm. was the best fit for you, and this is the best match, and it didn't work out. Um, it's hard to go to a a second choice school with that mentality of I'm just going to be here for a semester. Or, I'm just going to be here for a year and then I'm going to transfer. Um, it just impacts the way you approach your day to day, like going to your classes, the friendships that you may be trying to make, knowing that they're only going to be there for a couple months. So it can be a, a big challenge. I, I usually challenge students to, to give the institution that they ultimately enroll at a shot, give them a fair shot um, at, at earning essentially, you know, your business, you being there for, for at least a year, you know, going through those four seasons and, and doing it. It's, it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to apply as a transfer after just one semester. You're not really going to have grades at the college level. Schools will see that you've finished out high school and hopefully you've, you've done well. Uh, and that helps your application a little bit more, but there's not a significant amount of change in one semester. So, um, students are certainly welcome to do that, but I usually encourage students to think about giving their, their chosen school a year and then, and then reapplying. That makes a lot of sense. That gives you the chance to do something different with that application. You weren't accepted as an incoming freshman what's going to be different when you apply as a transfer. So giving it that year seems to make a lot of sense where you can actually get involved in the community and in the academics so that you have something new to show the college. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's where the, the attitude shift that you talked about is really important too, because if you really go in thinking I'm out of here as soon as possible, it's going to be really hard to, to do anything impressive at the school. If you're just, oh, maybe I'll show up for this class. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll meet these people in my dorm. Maybe I won't because I'm I'm planning on getting out of here in a few months. Uh, committing to that, to that school you're attending, I think would give you better outcomes, like no matter what yeah. you decide to do, right? Whether you yeah. decide to stay there or leave, you're going to do better if you have the right attitude going in. Yeah. And, and taking time to like grieve the decision is okay too. You know, you don't have to run right out and like pick another school. Like you can, you can wallow in that pity for a short period, you know, do what you have to do, go in your room, throw a Nerf ball at the wall, whatever it is that (laughs) that helps get it out and, and then reapproach and know that, you know, where you ultimately go isn't going to define who you are as a person. So these decisions that come out, you're, they're an opportunity to go and do something at the college level. They're an opportunity to go and, and grow and learn and do something else. And so this won't define who you are. It's going to hurt for a little bit, mm-hmm. like like a lot of things in life. But but ultimately, like giving this this secondary institution or whoever you were admitted to the the real shot and and proving that growth for a full year is definitely helpful as you go back and reapproach the admission process as a transfer student. Absolutely. And speaking of giving other places a shot, here's here's a scenario that I feel like colleges are doing more and more lately. But you have been admitted, but not to the main campus that you applied to, to a satellite campus with the opportunity to transfer into the main campus after a year. What do you do in this situation? Yeah, a lot of this is personal preference because sometimes the offers will come and it's like, hey, we don't, we're going to give you this offer where you can go and spend the first semester or the first year abroad at one of our satellite campuses and you can get this experience. And and some of those can be a great opportunity, especially if a kid has a desire to travel. 
and mm -hmm. you know it fits in with your major it's not going to impact your ability to graduate in four years you get usually a, a smaller cohort that you can bond with so when you do go back to that main campus you do feel connected in some way to the college or university that that's offering you this this type of scenario mm -hmm. sometimes it's a like it's a smaller satellite campus um that's you know, that may be less desirable than your first choice, mm -hmm. but knowing that you can be there and still be a part of the institution, still have that institution's ID, still go to like the events, the different things that you have on the main campus. Um, sometimes that can be desirable for students. And sometimes it's just, they don't want to, they don't want to spend a year doing something that they don't really want to do. And that's yeah. okay too, is to, is to look at this offer and say, no, it's, it's not something I'm interested. I'd rather have the campus that I want to be on as my second choice or third choice or whatever one mm -hmm. ultimately offers that, um, that full admission offer. And is it a, any different thought process if, depending on if the, the campus is the one, you know, maybe an hour away from the main campus, <laughs> or if it's um, a semester, a first semester abroad in London, um, which again, seeming to becoming um, more popular these days. And could you maybe explain also why your college is doing this? Yeah, colleges can do this for a variety of different reasons. Most of it is they're, they're trying to control the enrollment so that a lot of times in the spring semester, you'll have your own students that are already enrolled that are traveling abroad. And so spring semester tends to be, there's more numbers growing abroad. Maybe there are some students that decided to transfer back home because they didn't like being away from home. And so there's more beds and more physical space that opens up in the spring. And so that's where some of these offers come from is just schools trying to manage the numbers that they have on campus and be as efficient as they can with their resources. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, oftentimes have a whole lot to do with your admissibility as a student or your application. This is just an offer that, that schools are utilizing as a way to manage their populations in a lot of ways. The, the other yeah. thing to think about with an abroad experience is usually it's going to be a little bit more expensive uh, than if mm. you were just invited to a satellite campus down the road or, or to a different part of the state or wherever it is. And so that can certainly play a role. And do you want to, you know, do you want to spend that extra money for this particular institution or is it not a part right. of your, your family planning? Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Um, now, how about the scenario similar to our first scenario where you're admitted ED and our first student said, yay, they were thrilled with that. What if you're admitted ED, but you're not quite as sure that you want to attend that school? Can you wait from offers for the other schools that maybe you've now decided that you like better? Can you can you do that if you've applied early decision? No. <laughs> so essentially, you be thoughtful with signing these ED contracts because yeah. they are an agreement that you've signed, a school counselor signed, a parent has signed. And so once you receive that admission letter and you and you have the green light and you can deposit um, at that point, your process is over and you should withdraw all of your other applications. At that point, you shouldn't even be waiting around for decisions from other institutions because withdrawing your application taking yourself out of the pool is is definitely the the most considerate thing that you can do for your mm -hmm. for your other classmates remember that your grades are not going to go to these other schools because school counselors are not going to be able to send them once you've received uh -huh. an ed admit as well and so um at that point you really have to to make your deposit and decide to enroll um, with the institution that you've chosen got it and i'll just throw out there from the finance perspective the only exception to right. that is if you've received a financial aid offer and because of the delay of the FAFSA, 
a lot of the schools are doing tentative offers. If they use the CSS profile, they're, they're able to do that. Um, if the finances make it impossible for you to attend, you can uh, request to be let out of your early decision contract for that reason. So I always like to remind people that that is still an option. Ideally, you would have done your research in advance and done the right. net price calculators and known whether or not the school is in your price range. Um, but if you kind of drop the ball there and you made a mistake up front by applying yeah. early decision to a school that you really shouldn't have applied to early decision, you do still have a chance at this point to correct the mistake. Yeah. Or if circumstances have changed, you know, yes. the parent loses a job or something exactly. like that. And now this becomes unaffordable. There's a lot of, of valid reasons why you can get out of an ED contract financially. But, um, but again, you want to do that homework on the, on the front side. Absolutely. Um, and I think probably our last scenario for today, I was offered a spot on the wait list, but my friend who was admitted to the same college decided they don't want to attend. Can I just take their spot? Can't we do a switcheroo, Michael? Isn't that allowed? <laughs> Is this from that? What's the Netflix show? Have I never have I ever? Never have I, think I, this yeah. came, I think this came up on that show, right? <laughs> um <laughs> No, you can't do this. So it's 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 not how it works in the college admissions landscape. There's going to be a whole bunch of students on a wait list. The, the school is going to decide who they want to take as they're filling different needs that they might have, whether it's net tuition revenue. So they need they need families that have the ability to pay, whether they need more kids on the marching band, whatever it is mm -hmm. that they're looking for in their wait list when they go to it is, is what they're going to choose. So it's, it's not like you'd have that option. Right. Nice try there. Good thinking, dear student, but sorry, not right. an option. <laughs> so thank you so much, Michael. I think I think we got through all the possible scenarios that, that students who applied early might have. If we if if you've got a scenario we did not address, send it in to us and we're, we will tackle it in, in an upcoming listeners questions segment. Uh, but I think we covered most of them. And speaking of listeners questions, we're just going to take a quick break. Uh, and then we're going to be answering some listener submitted questions. Michael's going to stick around with us, which is awesome. Uh, so you stick around too. We'll be right back. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. For 25 years, families have trusted Bright Horizons College Coach to guide them through the college admissions process. With nearly all of our students getting into one of their top choice schools, it's no wonder why. Our experience is unmatched. As former admissions officers at top colleges and universities, we've read the essays, reviewed the applications, and made the admissions decisions. We know firsthand what colleges are looking for. Ready to meet our team? Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. In every college application, there's that moment of pause before a student hits send. Is this my best work? With Bright Horizons College Coach, your student will hit submit with confidence. We take the guesswork out of applying to college. Students get help with everything from essays, summer planning and visits, to testing strategy, merit aid, and more. As for our results... 100% of students have earned acceptances, nearly all to one of their top choice goals. Visit getintocollege.com experts to learn more. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. And we are now going to address your listener questions. Michael has hung out with us to help us out with the admissions questions. And we're also now joined by our colleague and former Northeastern financial aid officer, Beth Feinberg-Keenan, to help us out with the finance questions. Welcome, Beth. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks for having me today. I'm so glad to have you. And before we dig in, I just want to remind listeners that they can send us questions at any time uh, through our website at getintocollege.com, by emailing us at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com, or you can message us through any of our social channels, uh, including our brand new TikTok. So if you're not following us there yet, make sure you do so. Our handle is at bh dot college coach uh at bh dot college coach the bh stands for bright horizons bright horizons <laughs> college coach is our full long name um so definitely check us out on tiktok we will get both michael and beth on their dancing any day now so you gotta stay tuned for that um but before we get to the dancing we're gonna get to your questions uh, and we're going to start with a bunch of questions that we have collected recently from our listeners and some of the presentations we've given and our, our one-on-one one-on-one work with families. Um, we've gotten so many questions about the brand new FAFSA. Uh, and we have done some full segments on the, the sort of big historic changes that are being made to the upcoming FAFSA. So dig into the archives if you want to learn more about that. But for now, we just wanted to do, or kind of calling a lightning round, short and sweet answers uh, to a bunch of common questions that we've been getting about the FAFSA. Uh, short and sweet is not necessarily our strong suit, but we're going to try our best uh, to get to as many of these questions as possible. So I'm going to hit you one after the other, Beth. So are you ready for these? I'm ready. Okay. First, when will the FAFSA be available? So the Department of Education, it said, it's going to be available by December 31st, um, midnight. I am thinking that from just conversations that, you know, we've had, I was just at a uh, financial aid conference, and it's looking like it's really going to be towards the end of the month. Like, don't expect it, you know, December 1st to happen, and all of a sudden the FAFSA is going to open up. But I would anticipate uh, maybe it's going to be your holiday gift. If not, you know, Happy New Year. <laughs> right. Um, FAFSA will be available by then. Right. And that just a little background, that is a legal requirement that the FAFSA be available. It's, it's historically available by October 1st. It has to be available by January 1st. And it's looking like the they're going to just squeeze it in by that deadline. Um, so we know families will be able to fill out the FAFSA starting the end of December. When will the colleges actually receive their FAFSA data? Uh, so colleges are not going to start receiving FAFSA data until the end of January. Uh, so there's going to be somewhat of a delay that like you're going to have done it and colleges aren't going to be able to import that information in until probably another 30 days after that. 
And that is unusual, just so folks know. Usually they get it within a few days. And this year, because of all the delays, um, and that was a recent announcement that there's going to be an extra month delay in all likelihood before the colleges receive your information. So families just need to know that. You know, don't be calling a college the day after you submit your FAFSA and asking about your financial aid. They will not have your information yet. So it's going to be sort of a, a waiting game for families this year. Um, if I make a mistake on my FAFSA or I need to add another college, can I update my FAFSA after initially filling it out? So you can. Um, and But because of the delay of when schools are going to get it, families are not going to be able to make any type of corrections until February. Uh, so if you have made a mistake or you feel that you like, didn't list a college or two or three colleges on that FAFSA originally, uh, you got to hang tight. Um, before you can make any type of updates. And again, this is different than in the past too, because typically we would say, hey, like once it's processed, you can go ahead and make uh, corrections. But as Shannon just mentioned, you know, it, it's going to, it's going to be processed, but schools can't import it until end of January. So oh, therefore you can't start making, you can't start making corrections until February. Um, you know, if you really need to get some information to a college, you know, and you've made your, you know, you've done your FAFSA, not adding colleges specifically, but you need to change something, you know, maybe send an email to the college and kind of put that on your file. And then when it becomes available, then you can go back in and make that correction. Mm -hmm. And the part of that that's particularly worrisome to me is the inability to add new colleges until February. Mm -hmm. If, you know, you might decide on January 2nd, I want to apply to a new school let me throw them on my FAFSA. I can't until February. They might have a financial aid application deadline of January 15th, and you've already missed it. Now, I'm hoping schools will be sort of generous with deadline issues this year because of all the the delay on the Department of Education side. But I, I would say in terms of a lesson to take up front, if you're even considering applying to a college, maybe put it down on your FAFSA. Um, you know, if you don't end up applying, nothing happens with that information. So there, there's no kind of danger in, in putting down a college you don't end up applying to. Not, nothing will happen there unless you actually apply. But if you're thinking about maybe doing it, probably throw it on your FAFSA up front. Otherwise, you have to wait till February to add them. Um, how many colleges can I have the FAFSA sent to? Uh, so this year, if you're doing your FAFSA online, you can list up to 20 colleges. So hopefully, you know, again, you know, what you said, Shannon, you know, if you're just even thinking about a college, you know, hopefully you don't already have 20 colleges that you're like, Hey, like I'm going to apply to these 20, <laughs> but if you have, you know, 10 or 15 and you have like maybe like a school or two that you're not sure, doesn't hurt to add it because you have the space this year and you're not going to have to worry about, well, I hope families aren't going to have to worry about like, how do I add more schools above and beyond 20? Cause that was always a popular question <laughs> before this year. Right. But before this year, the limit was 10. And if someone was applying to 11 or 12 schools, it became a pain in the neck. They've upped it to 20 to account for that. But let's let's bring Michael in for a second. Michael, should students apply to 20 schools now that they can? I typically don't advise that. No, um, unless there's some really special circumstances. Usually eight to 10 is a is a pretty solid number and it'll give you the options that you're looking for as long as you've done your homework on the front end. But it's a lot of work to apply to a school and going beyond 12 usually results in negative results across the board. Yep, makes sense. Um, now, if you've got your eight or 10 or 12 schools that you're going to apply to and you're listing on your FAFSA, does it matter, Beth, what order you list them in? 
Uh, for federal aid, it doesn't matter what order you list, in, list them in, but some states want uh, their state college listed as the top school um, for state aid. And if you go to um, the FAFSA website, there is uh, information on specific states that do want your your state college is listed there as one of the top schools. You can typically change it, but, and because of the delay, that shouldn't impact you getting state aid. So if you do need to switch it because mm-hmm. you listed your state school as number three or number 10, doing that after February 1st should not impact you getting state aid or not getting state aid. Perfect. Um, now, when we talk about the new FAFSA, the term FSA ID comes up a lot. So what, Beth, is an FSA ID and who needs one? So an FSA ID is the Federal Student Aid ID. And it is a username and a password that um, applicants, students, and parents can use to elect to electronically authenticate themselves and signing the FAFSA, signing um, student loans in the future. But who needs one? Um, each student needs their own FSA ID, and a parent needs an FSA ID. However, if parents have filed their taxes separately, married filing separately, or if you have parents who are not married, but you're both the biological parent of the student and live in the same household, you both need your own FSA ID. Um, the only other caveat that I want to add there, too, is parents, if you have older children, and you've already been doing the FAFSA for years with an older with an older child, you do not need to get a new FSA ID, FSA ID. And if you, as a parent, are also in school and you've been filing the FAFSA, again, you don't need to get a new FSA ID to be able to complete the FAFSA with your college-bound student. Perfect. So if your parent who's either done a FAFSA for an older kid or for themselves, it's that same FSA ID. You can keep using that. Um, but each kid needs their own, right, Beth? Yes. Each each college-bound student, each student that's in college needs their mm-hmm. own FSA ID. Perfect. And, and you, you maybe sort of touched on this briefly, but if your parents are divorced, who needs that FSA ID? Who needs to go on the FAFSA? So the parent who needs the FSA ID is the FAFSA parent. And the FAFSA oh, parent- Oh, that clears it right up, Beth. Right, right, right. The FAFSA parent is defined. I'm going there. The FAFSA parent is defined as the parent who provides more support uh, for that for that student. Support, financial support, uh, right now is what we're going with. But there's supposed to be a parent wizard that you're going to be able to use when filling out when you're filling out the FAFSA to determine who is that FAFSA parent. But it is the parent who's providing, sorry, it's the parent who's going to be filling the FAFSA out with the student and it's that parent who provides more support. Perfect. And I don't that know, is awesome. do you have anything else? That is a change from, just to <laughs> clarify, it's a change from the past when your FAFSA parent has been the parent you lived with the most. It's no longer based on where you live. It's based on who provides more financial support. And we're, we're hoping the Department of Education provides a little bit more clarity on that and what defines support, but that's what we've got for now. Um, Can we manually enter our income into the FAFSA like we have in past years? So you can't. When you're doing the FAFSA this this year, each 
individual, student, and parent or parents need to provide what's called as consent. And by providing consent, you're consenting to allow the IRS through the um, the data direct data um, exchange system to be able mm-hmm. to import your information into into the FAFSA. However, if you were a victim of identity theft and you cannot import your information in, or if you had a change in marital status since the time that you filed your taxes and you're not able to um, import your information in, they will give you the option to manually enter manually enter your information in because it will it will do its process and say they can't you, you can't use the direct data exchange, mm-hmm. but you don't you don't have just the ability to say hey I don't want to use this and I don't want to have my information imported. Um, if you do not provide consent, your student will not be eligible for federal aid. So just know that that's so important this year specifically, because in the past when you can enter the information in, it's still information, but if you have the ability to enter the information, if you have the ability to do use the direct data exchange and you do not provide consent, then your student will not get federal aid. Right. So do it. <laughs> and like Beth said, you have to at least try to import your information in those limited circumstances. They'll tell you they can't get your info in and ask you to do it manually. Otherwise, no choice. You got to do it if you want federal aid. Right. Um, will we be able to see the numbers that are pulled over from the IRS into the FAFSA? You won't. Um, all of that will be X'd out. Um, so you will not see that when you get uh, the results of your FAFSA student aid report, you will not um, be able to see that information coming through. The schools will be able to see it, but you as the um, student and parent will not be able to see that information that's being pulled from the IRS. Yeah. Which is a safety measure for for you to protect your information, but it is sure is disconcerting to families when they they can't see those numbers. Right. Um, will I be asked about the number of college students in my household this year? Um, you will be asked that question this year, but know that there's a big change for this year. That when there when the Department of Education is calculating how much you can afford to pay for your school, um, your student aid index, they are not going to factor that information in when determining what your student aid index is for that year. Colleges might use it for their own institutional aid, but the federal, the Department of Education is not going to use it for things like Pell Grant eligibility, subsidized student loan eligibility, or college work study when colleges are using that information. Yep. And that's, you will be asked that question still. Yep. (laughs) Colleges can (laughs) use it if they want to, but not in the federal formula. And most are following the federal formula. Um, And how often do I need to complete the FAFSA, Beth? Please tell me it's one and done. (laughs) <laughs> I wish I could tell you it's one and done. It's not one and done. Uh, you need to complete it each year uh, for each student that you have in college. Um, as Shannon mentioned earlier, that you know, typically this application is available in October. This year, because of all the changes that are being made, we're pushed back until late December. But mm-hmm. kind of have it like on your radar that every October is when that FAFSA becomes available. And then mm-hmm. that's when you're going to be able to complete it again for each year that your student's going to be in college. But keep in mind that if your student's only getting like merit financial assistance and you're not taking out a student loan and they don't qualify for any type of need-based financial aid and, you know, you say, hey, like, we're not going to have our student take out a loan. Like, you can choose not to, you know, it could be a one and done. Like, I just completed it my freshman year just to see if I was going to get any type of aid. The only thing we got was a loan. We don't want to take out the loan. 
my student got a merit scholarship, we don't need it for the merit scholarship, then by all means, it was a one and done for your family. Perfect. Awesome. Super helpful that we can take a, a breath now. We got through our, our lightning round, which is maybe not so so lightning fast, but <laughs> hopefully we got some good information out to folks. And again, we have other episodes, uh, other segments about the FAFSA, dig into the archives, and I'm sure we'll we'll do a couple more coming up um, by the time this year is all, all said and done. Um, but now let's let's bring Michael back into the, the conversation. I hope he hasn't fallen asleep out there with all this FAFSA talk. <laughs> I'm getting my dance moves ready. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, so we got an admissions question sent in from Joanne. Um, she emailed this question into us and she asked, what is the difference between a campus visit and an accepted student stay, Michael? I would say the accepted Hello. student stay is a type of campus visit, but with different goals. Yeah, great question. So a, a regular campus visit, usually you can you can hop online and schedule and you'll get kind of the the stock tour and info session at most places. And you could be, you know, a, a junior, you could have a 10th grader on a tour, a senior. So you'll get a, a pretty broad overview of the campus because this is designed for general population. When you're signing up for an admitted student day, you're getting the red carpet because the school has offered you admission and they want you to enroll. So this is their chance to really now you get to turn the tables. So you're the you're the consumer and you get to see like, is this something that you want to be a part of? Is this something that you want to purchase? And so most colleges and universities really roll out the red carpet for these admitted student days. They try to get their best faculty to present. They try to get their top tour guides on board. Everything kind of rolled out to to really help you make that final decision of, do I want to attend this institution? So you're going to have access to student financial services. You'll have access to like the orientation office. Anything that you want on campus is probably going to be open to you to some extent. And so they can be really critical in a student that's deciding between a couple of campuses um, as far as like making that final choice as, as where you want to be, where you want your home to be. Perfect. And yeah, I think it's important to note that colleges, you've tried to woo the college with your application with the accepted students day. That's when they're, they're trying to woo you. So they're really pulling out all the stops and uh, they're putting their best foot forward as, as you put your best foot forward in your application. Okay, Beth, a question for you, not about the FAFSA, because folks haven't been able to fill that out yet, but they have been able to fill out another financial aid application, the CSS profile that some private colleges require. And so we actually got a couple very similar questions uh, about the CSS profile. So we'll just, I'll throw them both at you because I think it's a similar answer. One from Sonia uh, submitted through YouTube. She asked, I submitted my CSS profile already and I made some pretty big mistakes like I added extra zeros after amounts in some places. We don't we don't like those extra zeros. How can I fix this? And then we got another question through YouTube. If I made a mistake on the CSS uh, and missed it, will it impact my admissions, et cetera? I'm submitting tax forms with IDOC, but I'm paranoid that it'll look bad if I made a mistake. So... I think it was Sonia, the first one, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> who had asked if she can make a correction. And yes, yeah, so once your CSS profile has been processed, so that's the big thing is it has to have been processed uh, by the college board. You can log back into your CSS profile. On the right-hand side of your screen, you'll be able to access your dashboard. 
And through your dashboard, you're going to be able to make a correction to your CSS profile. Um, so fairly simple. Um, <laughs> you know, and colleges will get that updated information. And then the second question that was asked by our um, another, as you say, uh, user, if you made a mistake um, with your CSS profile, that is not going to be held like against you with admissions. Admissions are probably not even going to know that you made a mistake on your CSS profile, <laughs> yet alone that it's going to impact your admissions decision. So go ahead, you know, make a correction, or if you had forgotten to, you know, complete that form or whatever, you know, go ahead, go ahead and get that completed and get those updates, you know, updates made because it's not going to have any bearing whether you're admitted to the college or not. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'll just say, I think people put an unnecessary amount of stress on themselves. And I understand why they do it. The, it. It feels very stressful about getting everything perfectly right, particularly on the profile. It is an extremely long form, <laughs> real pain in the neck to fill out. I think Beth and I can tell you from working in eight <laughs> offices, reviewing these, almost nobody gets it perfectly right. <laughs> there, there are mistakes on almost every profile. And um, if you know, usually it is very clear that this wasn't like a an intentional trying to deceive the financial aid office mistake. It was just an honest mistake, uh, which are honest mistakes, very easy to make on the profile. Don't worry about it. If you've noticed it, correct it. If you can, nothing's going to be held against you. Right. Yeah. Um, the next question we have is another admissions question, Michael. Um, for myself, submitted coursework. They will receive my official transcript later, but on my self-submitted coursework on the application, I accidentally left out that in the second semester of my senior year, I'm taking economics. I put everything else correct, but forgot to change my U.S. government honors semester one course to economics for the second semester. Another mistake question, is that a huge deal or will they just notice it on my transcript that it states I'll take economics next semester? Do I need to f do anything to fix this mistake, Michael? Yeah, great question. It's not a it's not a big deal by any means. So this is a future course that you're going to be taking. If there are any changes that occur uh, to your academic schedule, you'll want to let your counselor know because what the counselor mm -hmm. can do is submit essentially a, a course change form to schools after you've applied so if you've already applied you want to go check in with your counselor let them know this is the mistake you made and then they can submit that so that schools can see that, that you have this different course in the second semester than what you had put on the common application um, for for the uc system it's a little bit different um, and so you'll definitely want to reach out to the schools just to make that correction because they're another place that you can self-report. And so, um, if, if you change like schools or add or drop a course after you submit your application, you should definitely notify all the campuses you applied to with the exception of UC Berkeley, UC San Diego and UC Santa Barbara. Um, and again, that's specific to the UC system. So for most schools, not a big deal. You can, you can let them know, you can let your counselor know. You can also email the schools directly and say this is a mistake you've made and see if they have any additional things that they want from you. But but this one course change in the future is not a big deal. So, again, easy to stress out, stress less. <laughs> it's OK. Right. You're going to be OK. Everybody makes mistakes. Um, and we just have probably time for one quick uh, minute or two answer 
Beth. We actually got a, a question from a current college student, Jennifer, and she thinks she's borrowed more money than what she needs for the fall semester. What should she do with that extra money? So what I would uh, encourage Jennifer to do is, you know, check in with the financial aid office and check to see what her bill is for the spring semester before she does anything with that money. Um, So maybe that additional money that she has for that from the fall, she actually needs for the spring because that's going to cover a shortfall that she's going to have in the spring. But if she ends up that she doesn't need it and it's really extra money that she has, she can work with the financial aid office and work with them to have that sent back to her lender. Um, so a little bit less debt that she might have at the end of you know, graduation and not have to worry about, you know, having that money released to her and having to send it back to the, back to her service or herself. Perfect. Yeah. And it tends to be, if you are going to send money back, have the financial aid, office send it rather than sending it yourself. It It's treated more like that loan never existed. <laughs> the loan is rather than you took this loan, borrowed it, used it, accrued some interest and are then paying it back. Um, so it's more beneficial to have the financial aid office send it back. Uh, if, you're, if you're gonna need to send that money back at all, again, like you said, Beth, make sure you're not gonna need it before you send the money back because then it's just an extra hassle. Oh, I need to borrow a new loan to to because now I'm short for the spring semester. That makes perfect sense. So I think that is just about all the time that we have for today. Any uh, final wishes for our listeners in uh, early December? Any last minute things they should be doing now to get prepared for admissions or financial aid? In terms of financial aid, you know, what I want to encourage families to do is because we did have profile questions, if you can't, you know, because you can't do the FAFSA right now, just really double check your what the websites of the colleges that your students are applying to and make sure that they're not asking for something else to be completed, like the CSS profile, yeah. copies of your taxes, or maybe their own institutional application, because some schools have added additional things because of the delay of the FAFSA. Perfect. Any 10 second wishes, Michael? <laughs> Get all of your regular decision uh, applications done before you go on school break. Don't wait until until the new year to, to try to sneak back in with your counselor and get things done. Get it all done. Enjoy your break. Fantastic advice. So thank you, Michael and Beth, for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for joining. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, definitely re- leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate your feedback. And join us next week when we're going to be discussing student loan borrowing basics. Uh, As I mentioned a little bit earlier, we're also going to be talking about the kind of nuts and bolts administrative steps of submitting and following up on applications, using your college's portal, all that good stuff. Um, And then what I'm going to declare right now is our most important segment of the year. We are going to be talking about how to be kind in the wake of college admissions decisions. So, you know, in in the end... What matters is not where you go to college, but how you treat people. So be kind and you'll learn how to do that next week. So stay tuned. And remember, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation. New episodes drop every Thursday. The goal of this show is to demystify the college admissions process for families around the globe. To help with this mission, please leave a review and share with your friends. And to learn more about Bright Horizons College Coach, visit GetIntoCollege.com.